That's why I had Kimber come up here, because she did a lot better job than I would have, right? That was, yeah, a mom talking to moms. Hey, we are in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. So turn there. Mark chapter 5. Like I mentioned, we're taking the year to go through the gospel of Mark. And we're looking, this, looking at this text as Jesus on mission, that wherever Jesus goes, wherever he goes, he's bringing life and healing and restoration. And our desire is that Jesus would come here and bring life and healing and restoration, and that we would join Jesus on his mission to seek and to save the lost. And so if you were with us last week, let me just kind of catch up to speed in case you weren't. Uh, last week, we, we finished Mark chapter 4. Like I mentioned, we're flying through this book. But we finished Mark chapter 4, and it's a text where the wind and the waves obey Jesus. It's a text where Jesus says, disciples, let us cross over the Sea of Galilee. Remember, that's like a lake, 13 by 7 miles. Let us cross over the Sea of Galilee. We're going to get to the other side. And in the middle of this time, they're in the water, a hurricane-like storm appears. And the water's filling their boats. And, and they're, they're screaming and freaking out, saying, Jesus, the water's filling our boats, and we're perishing. And Jesus is in the back of the boat sleeping. And Jesus is kind of like, hey guys, can you keep it down? I'm trying to nap here, right? Like this, I love this story because they're freaking out. They're losing it. But Jesus is just at peace and at rest. And Jesus gets up, he stands up, and he says, peace, be still. And immediately there was a calm. And we read and we studied last week that after Jesus said, peace, be still, we're told that the disciples were more afraid of Jesus than they were the storm. And I love that. When you really see and encounter who Jesus is, there's that fear in you. Like, oh my, oh my goodness, look who's in my boat. Oh my goodness, look who Jesus is. They even said out loud, they go, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? And so Jesus just calms the storm. And now here's where we're at. The storm is calm. They're in the boat. And they get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And this is actually the longest and most descriptive text in the Gospel of Mark. Remember, Mark is the ADD Gospel. Mark is jumping from a thought to a thought to a thought to a story to a story. Here in Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through 20, this is the longest and most descriptive text we have in the Gospel of Mark. And it's all about a demon-possessed guy. Happy Mother's Day. Um, this, this really couldn't be the, the, this is probably the least Mother's Day message or text. I'm like, what? You know, of course, we have to be in the text where I'm like, let's find the least Mother's Day-ish text, Mark 5. Uh, so that's kind of where we're at. And so actually, here's a way I've tried to make it almost like a Mother's Day-esque kind of text. Um, we're looking at this. The title of this is A Wayward Son Returns. A Wayward Son Returns. And you're like, hey, that's not fair. It is. Uh, the way this story ends, Jesus, it says literally in the Greek, he sends him to his own. And so we can't forget, we're going to read this story, but don't forget this demon-possessed guy that greets Jesus out of the boat. Don't forget that at one point in time, he, he, he was and he is someone's son, that he's once held by his parents as a little baby, that he's been so loved by his family, but little decisions over time led to him being so far gone, so far out there. He's probably at the point where his parents think he will never return. He'll never be back to normal. He'll never think normally again. He'll never act normally again. And this text does give us hope because if this man can return back to his own, I think that any son or daughter can return back to his own. Amen? This really is an encouraging text. This, this text, by the way, because in case you're like, how can this relate to me? This is one end of the spectrum of the human condition, and we're all on this end. We're all on the spectrum of the human condition. We just make gradual decisions that lead us either closer to God or further and further and further and further and further away from God. And this guy's on one end of the spectrum, and we see him yet walking with Jesus. And we see his life forever changed. And so it's Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through 20. Again, a wayward son returns. It really is that. He goes back to his own. So I want to read this story. Longest story we'll, we'll probably read in Mark. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. Let's read it and then we'll pray. It says, Then they came to the other side of the sea. Remember there in that storm. They came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, Jesus comes out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains. 
because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him, and he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you, I beg you by God that you do not torment me. For Jesus said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also he begged Jesus earnestly that he would not send him out of the country, Now, a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountain, so all the demons begged Jesus, saying, Send us to the swine, that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000 pigs, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea, and they drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it to the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. And then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him and had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with Jesus to depart from their region. And when Jesus had gotten to the boat, he does listen. He listens, he leaves, and they ask him to. When he got into the boat, he, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. He goes, let me be with you, Jesus. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends. Literally, go home to your own. And tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. And how he has had compassion or literally mercy on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis, these ten cities area, all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Happy Mother's Day. All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We do thank you for, for this story, for this event. God, this was so memorable in the disciples' minds that they had to write this down and that I take time to clarify what happened. And God, I just ask that you would speak to all of our hearts, that Lord, if this, if this man who is so far gone can come back to you, can, can have a renewed mind, Jesus, we ask that you do that for, for everyone and anyone, whether they're so far gone or just a little gone, whatever that might look like or mean, Jesus, we ask that you renew our minds. Jesus, we ask that you'd free us from the, the struggles we have within. Jesus, just like you freed this man from the struggles he had within, we ask that you'd free us from the struggles that we have within, and God, that you'd be here, that you'd speak, and that our focus and attention could be on you, Jesus, in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Uh, a few days ago, uh, I think it was Monday or Tuesday night, my wife had some, some girlfriends over. Um, it was the NBA playoffs, and that's, you know, basketball's my thing, so I'm watching the, the, the playoffs, and my wife had some friends over, and one of uh, her friends, she brought a younger friend, she's 13, and uh, she's hanging out, she's on her phone, and uh, during the pre-game, you know, game, there's something called Inside the NBA, where it's like former basketball players get together and talk. Uh, so you have Shaquille O'Neal, you know, Shaq, you have Shaq, Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith, they're just talking. And I'm watching kind of the pregame, and this 13-year-old girl is on her phone. She looks up, and she goes, hey, look, it's the Icy Hot Patch guy. I'm like, what? Yeah, look, that big guy. It's the Icy Hot Patch guy, referring to Shaq, the Icy Hot Patch guy. I'm like, uh, what'd you say? That's Shaquille O'Neal, uh, possibly the most dominant center of all time. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I heard her talk about the Icy Hot Patch guy, and I'm like, how does she look at Shaq, and that's what she comes to. And my wife loved this. She, like, overheard. She's like, what? My wife was having way too much fun with this. She's like, well, you know who LeBron is, right? She's like, of course I know who LeBron is. Like, that's her generation. <laughs> My wife asked this question. goes, do you know who Michael Jordan is? And she goes, oh, yeah, Michael B. Jordan from Black Panther. <laughs> and I kind of had like a mini heart attack. I was like, no, uh, no. 
after I woke up from like my blackout, I had to explain like, no, this is the greatest player that has ever existed. Like, and her mind is going, yeah, Shaq, the icy hot patch guy, Michael B. Jordan, Black Panther. I'm like, no, this is this has to change. And I, I realized at that moment that the next generation, it's, it's always hard to kind of explain or clarify or maybe even catch up with the next generation that they have their people, they have their influential people, the people they look up to. And just what I had to come to, the, like, to, the, to grips with is that things change over time. People's perspective changes over time. That they don't understand. Once, something that once was in is no longer in anymore, right? Because things change. And it's funny because here we are today in 2018, and what was once in, was what, what was once understood was that there was and is a spiritual realm, and that was highly believed amongst most people, that there was a spiritual realm and is a spiritual realm, and it does affect us. But today, that has kind of changed, right? Not so many people, if you talk about Satan and demons and the spiritual realm, they look at you like you're just a caveman. It's like, what are you talking about? You still believe this? And it's interesting to me how something that was once accepted, something that was once so believed and understood is no longer accepted or believed or even understood in any way. And I bring this up because, let's, let me just point this out, by the way. Um, most of the world, most of the world still does believe in the supernatural. Most of the world still does believe in angels and demons and the demonic and demon possession. I mean, we think that we've advanced through this, that no, it's just bad brain chemistry, maybe bad experience or bad environment, and we try to simplify things, I think. When you look at most of the world, you look at maybe the Caribbean or South America or Africa or Southeast Asia or, in, you know, uh, India, Africa, you look at these major parts of the world, they still do believe in the spiritual realm. They've still seen it firsthand. They've still experienced it. I mean, I remember being in Haiti, talking to Haitian missionaries who are from Haiti and they're ministering to their people and just sitting through and talking through some of their spiritual experiences and, and you can't convince them that this is fake. You can't convince them that they just made this up in their mind. The things maybe you've experienced or I've experienced, you can't convince someone that, no, you're just, you're just hallucinating. Everyone's had the same hallucination at the same time. I mean, for us, we think we've kind of evolved past this. We think, no, there's no way people still believe this. And we read a story like this, and this is a tough story for us, because some of us look at this as like a, just a bad fiction movie. We're like, no, this is just a story to tell us some truth. Like, no, this happened. And again, it's hard for us as Western Americans to embrace, sometimes it's hard for us, to embrace this idea of the supernatural, of the spiritual realm, of the demonic realm, and how it influences man today. And so that's what we're going to look at today. So happy Mother's Day. Um, but that's what we're going to talk about, because we do see this, and there's some things I want to point out to you from the story, some, some real realities and some truths we learn from the story. It's a, it's a powerful story. A few thoughts we, we walk away with, and here's the first thing. We're going to look at the reality of evil, the reality of evil. We'll look at the conqueror of evil. We'll see the crowd's response to what just happened, and then the renewed man. All right. That's kind of how we're going to like walk through this text today. Uh, the reality of evil, the conqueror of evil, we're going to see the crowd's response, and the renewed man. This is kind of the story and how it flows, and there's so many truths from this, and we'll try our best to get, we can't probably get into every detail or sentence, but we do want to look at this big idea of the story, and what, what is it communicating, what is God showing us? So let's look at the first one, the reality of evil. All right. Uh, verse 1. Mark chapter 5, verse 1, again, it says, When they came to the other side of the sea, to the, the country of the Gadarenes, and when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains would be pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. 
And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. All right, let's just kind of review what's happening. Jesus is in the boat. The disciples are in the boat. The storm just happened. This great storm happened. Immediately, there's a calm. Then there's fear. They realize who's in their boat at that point in time. Then they get to the other side of, this, of the Sea of Galilee, and they see the storm within this man. And we're going to see a great calm, and we're going to see great fear again. We're going to see this great storm within this man. He turns into a great calm, and then there's fear again. We see the story kind of repeating itself from what we just read in, in, last week. But they come to the other side of the boat, and I just want to paint the picture because this, this couldn't be so, this, this part is so unkosher, it's so unjewish like all right? Imagine this. They're now entering into Gentile territory. And here's a demon-possessed guy. He's unclean. He comes out of the graves. They can't walk on graves. That's an unclean area. There's pigs. There's thousands of pigs. All right, I love it because it just says that Jesus got out of the boat. It doesn't even say that the disciples got out of the boat. I wonder if they're like, good luck, Jesus. This is Gentile territory. You got this one. And it's funny. So you have this scenario where they get to their side and they're like, uh, what's going on here? And if you read what we read the end, they immediately leave. I, I really don't even know if the disciples left the boat at all. But this for them is like so unJewish, so unkosher. There's no way I want to have anything to do with this. But here's what I love about this. Jesus, and this is what we, the first time we see this in Mark's gospel, he's going to the Gentiles. Jesus is going to Gentile territory, and that's a big deal. This is like a milestone. We do see other Gentiles go to Jesus before when the crowds came together. But this is Jesus now pursuing Gentiles. Those who never wanted to follow God, those who didn't even think about the Jews' God, wanted nothing to do with him, Jesus now pursues them. And I'm so thankful our God pursues people who want nothing to do with him. I'm so thankful our God is like, I'm going to cross this sea to go to you. I'm going to cross this great divide to go to you. Just like Jesus first and foremost crossed this great divide from heaven to earth to come to us, and we see a God who's always initiating the pursuit. We see a God who's like, let me go to you. Let me come to this Gentile territory where a Gentile man's in these tombs with, uh, you know, he's cutting himself, he's crying out, he's unclean, there's pigs, I'm going to this guy. He literally goes to this guy and leaves. I mean, this seems to be the only intention of Jesus, is to have this meeting with this guy. And again, we do learn so much from this. The gospel, and I love this about the gospel, the gospel is, is yes, the Jews were really supposed to be that light to win the Gentile nations to God, and Jesus at this point in time, he's changing their idea of the Messiah. Again, remember, He's trying to show them the Messiah is not just for Jews. I'm going to Gentiles. So this is a big deal, what's happening here. And so he runs. This guy sees Jesus from afar, and he runs to him. And I want you to see that the, the idea of the spiritual realm and the reality of it, it's very real, and it's very complex. And we, kind of, we can't simplify it. I mean, I don't want to downplay it. There's a side of this where people hear us talk about this story, and they go, you really believe in demon possession? Like, you really believe this? You really believe this guy's howling at the moon, cutting himself? He's in tombs? Like, you really believe this is possible, this still exists? And I would say, yeah, of course I do. I mean, we, we've seen, not just in scriptures, but we've seen this firsthand. We, we meet people. like we, People still look at us like, we're, again, like we're just some ancient cave dwellers. Like, how can you believe this? And I want to flip the question. Part of me wants to go, you don't believe this? You don't believe in the supernatural or spiritual realm? I mean, you really think it's as simple as bad brain chemistry, bad environment, bad economics, bad social system. It's only those things. So a Germany that had a good social system, good families, good parenting, good structure, good system, they can lead to six million Jews' deaths, even though they came from good environment, even though they had good brain chemistry, even though they had good education. You're just saying that's just, what is that? 
To me, there, we cannot simplify it as, as to the point of just it's only natural. Here's what we see in the Bible, and I love this. The Bible says evil is both natural and supernatural. It's both. And I appreciate the word of God because it does take almost in a sense a holistic approach to dealing with evil. Whether the Bible talks about exercise because it's good or being in community and having social relationships. Like, the Bible does speak in a different, different realms, but it does acknowledge the fact that there is a spiritual realm and it does influence us. And we can't try to diminish it or act like it doesn't exist. And that there's this guy who sees Jesus from far and he, he comes face to face with him and, and just everything from this point in time has changed. And we see that the opposite of this exists. And here's what I want to talk about briefly in this, in this thought of the, the reality of evil, the reality of the spiritual realm, the reality of demons. And a couple of thoughts. First of all is this, um, evil appears to give you power while it takes away. This is what we see with this guy. And please hear this. Evil appears to give you power while it takes away. Evil appears to give you freedom while it enslaves you. I want you to think through this story a little bit. This guy seems to be incredibly powerful. He's almost like the Hulk. People are like binding him with chains and he keeps breaking them, right? He seems to be incredibly powerful to the point where people are like, leave him alone. So he seems to have power, but at the same time, he's really enslaved. He's cutting himself. He's crying out. I mean, what appears to be power actually leads to him being enslaved. What appears to be freedom, he becomes enslaved to. And that is so interesting. This is what we see throughout scriptures. Things that seem to give you power, in reality, it takes it away. Seem, things that seem to free you, in reality, enslave you. And this is what we're learning from this guy and his story. Because I do want us to think about this. This guy, this demon-possessed guy, is just one end of the spectrum of the human condition. I know for a lot of us here, are going, this does not relate to me. I'm not in a tomb crying out, cutting myself. This does not relate to me in any way. But again, this guy didn't start off this way. This was a gradual thing. This was something where he started getting more and more power. People couldn't restrain him. He probably liked that. He probably liked the feeling of it to the point now where he's isolated and he's alone and he's cut himself and he's crying out and he thought it'd bring him power, but it really took it away from him. He thought he'd be free, but it really enslaved him. And please listen, church, because this is how evil works. It's very subtle. I think the enemy promises us something and then slowly it just chips away at us. So, for example, the, the enemy comes to us and it's like, don't you want to pursue your career? Career's not bad. It's a good thing. And you start working and living for your career and living for your career. And sooner or later, you make all these little compromises and you go, I'm making decisions. And I'm putting down people and I'm, I'm doing things I never thought I'd do. I'm cheating people like I never thought I would. I'm doing things I never thought I would. And you don't make that decision overnight. It's a gradual thing that takes place. You know, one author said it this way. She actually wrote it, wrote it down. She said, the person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants. Please, we do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our life. The more you seek, the more you become enslaved to it. If you're seeking, if I'm seeking anything outside of Jesus Christ, the more we're seeking something outside of him, the more we put that first in our life, the more we become a slave to it. So you go, I want power, I want freedom. Well, you're going to become a slave to power and become a slave to freedom. Or you think, I really want this relationship. And you pursue that relationship and you get that relationship. The relationship feels good. And you never think you'd become that couple that enters, that goes that far, does this thing. But it's a slow, gradual decisions you make. And you go, how did we get here? Again, no one wakes up one day and says, I want to leave my family for another woman. I want to leave my family for my career. No one does that. It is a gradual thing that is taking place over time. You know, the verse to me that kind of summarizes this, it's in verse 3. It says it this way, no one can bind him anymore, not even with chains. I circle that word anymore. No one could bind him anymore. That means he was once bound. But now he can't be bound anymore. This power is only growing while he's weakening. Do we get that? The power is growing, he's weakening. No one can bind him anymore. 
There's something that this communicates to us. That means at one point in time, he used to be bound, but now he can no longer be bound. He's becoming, he thinks he's getting freedom, but he's becoming more and more enslaved to it. And again, this, this is so important for us because it starts off so subtle. I love how James puts it. I'll throw the verse up here. It's James chapter three. James says, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. And this is like, what? James is saying, when you have envy and self-seeking in your hearts, don't lie. This is demonic. It's interesting. All we, we would go, James, man, you're too intense, dude. You're calling this demonic? Envy, self-seeking? And James is like, yes, this is the start of it. You see, this guy here that's demon-possessed is on one end of the spectrum, but it starts off so small. He was once someone's son. He once wanted to be like his dad. He once had good relationships with people. And we have no idea how he got to this end, but it was gradual. Do we get that? It's a gradual thing that slowly takes place because this is really, the reality of evil, it's complex. No one, again, wakes up and says, I want to be a terrible person, cut off from people, just, you know, really envious. No one wants that, but they slowly over time can become that. C.S. Lewis wrote it this way, and again, he's the master of saying things, so I'll just quote him. Uh, He says, it doesn't matter, listen to this, it doesn't matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into nothing. Listen, indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual, gradual one, the gentle slope, soft, underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. You see that? It's like the road to hell is not, it's not just a decision like, I want to I go to hell. It's a gradual process over time. So you're slowly drifting, he says. And again, this is, this, I'm bringing this up because what you and I pursue outside of Jesus, we will be enslaved to. Whatever it is you and I are pursuing, that becomes our master. If there's something in your life, in my life, and here's the thought behind this, if we say, once I have this, fill in that blank, once I have this, then I will be satisfied. Once I have this, then I have made it in life. Once people view me this way, then I know I really have value. Then that is the thing that enslaves you. That is the thing that controls your thoughts. That is what you're living for. That is what you're working for. That is what you're trying to attain. And if that thing is not Christ, you'll be a slave to it, and it will be not a good master. You're pursuing that thing thinking you'll find meaning and satisfaction in it, but you're just become a slave to it. And this is what we see, that this, this guy did not just wake up one day demon-possessed, full with, filled with demons. It was a gradual slope, a gradual decisions that he gave himself. He wanted more power. He wanted mo- more whatever, and it led to the state he's in. And what a wake-up call it is for us. Because let's not read this and go, no, this is just extreme. This doesn't apply to me. No, we are, we are either growing, becoming more like Christ, growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, as Peter would say, or maybe this is gradual slipping away. It's a gradual one. We don't notice it. It goes unchecked for a while. Maybe someone has to wake, up, wake you up and go, look what you're doing. You were not this way a year ago. What's happening with you? And you're going, no, no, that's not me. And we like to deny it. And so we see the reality of evil. We see the complexity behind it. We see that there, there is a battle between, not between flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And so this man, this demon-possessed man, runs to Jesus, and he says, I beg you, don't torment me. Number two, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see the conqueror of evil. The conqueror of evil. Look at Jesus' response in verse 8. In verse 8, Jesus said, he said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send him out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. 
And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There was about 2,000, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now, I know no one woke up this morning. He's like, man, I really hope the pastor talks about demon-possessed pigs today. That would be really cool. I know no one thought that or woke up. This is a unique text. This is a strange text. But let me just kind of put us, paint the picture. This guy sees Jesus. He says, what have you to do with me? Jesus says, come out. Jesus says, what is your name? The, the demons respond and say, we are le- our name is Legion, for we are many. Just so you know, the idea of Legion, this is a Gentile guy, really heavily influenced by the Greco-Roman world. The word Legion, back in Julius Caesar's day, we might refer to about 3,500 troops. By the time the Roman Empire disintegrated, uh, a Legion meant about six to 8,000 troops. So when the demon says, we are Legion, there's probably, it's believed, there's maybe about 6,000 plus demons in this guy. And I can't even imagine just that moment of just like the voices. They said, if it's in plural, that they spoke at once. All these demons at once speak. But you see the fear of them encountering Jesus. It's not the f- Je- there's no fear in Jesus. There's no sense of, oh no, there's more than one. <laughs> Jesus treats this legion as he treated the, the first demon we see in Mark chapter 1. He treats the many as he treats the one. And I love this because Jesus just says a word. He's like, come out. And can we talk about this? Remember the storm? Remember when Jesus said, peace, be still? And it's still. That's all it took was a word. And it's funny, when it comes to, to demon possession, whether you read the Bible or just even ancient literature, you know, the Egyptians actually write a lot about demon possession and how they try to do it, get you know, demons out of a person. It's interesting because they're always calling upon a higher power. Like, I command you in the name of God. I command you in the name of Jesus. We see that in the scriptures, in the New Testament. Notice that Jesus at, never at one point is like, in the name of God, come out. Jesus doesn't have to do that. Why? He's God. He's like, hey, come out in my name. <laughs> like, Jesus can just say it in a word. And I love that. There's not like he's like sweating and working really hard, like, oh, there's 6,000, here we go. It's like, it's just simple, it's as simple as a word. And we see just the power in Jesus' word, the power in his authority. And we see the, the demon come, we see him come out. And we see this fear. And it's really interesting. It's almost like there's two prayers. It's like, please don't torment us. Don't let us just wander aimlessly. Matthew's gospel talks about this. They go, we know the time, uh, please don't let the judgment time be now. They don't want to be judged now. That means they know judgment day is coming. That's what that means. They know judgment day is coming. And they're going, please don't let judgment be now. We don't want it to happen now. And Jesus doesn't let them enter into another human. They, they have a request to Jesus. Can we enter the pigs? He's like, yeah, go ahead. And it's, it's just a really, this is a unique story. And, and a lot of people write about this. Like, what is this about? Why did they enter the pigs? What's up with the pigs? And there's like a lot of speculations. Here's just the, the first thought. Um, it's written out this way because this is how it happened. That's what we got to keep in mind. Mark's not just like making this up. And there's pigs. And uh, that sounded good. Like this, they remember this so clearly. This is what happened. And then these pigs are filled with these demons, and I don't know, there's 2,000 pigs, each pig get three, don't worry, I don't know. But they run off the cliff, and they drown in the sea. And if you're Jewish, again, this is like kind of funny. <laughs> this is like, oh, pigs died, yes. In their mind, this is like, this is a good thing. Some of you are offended right now by that. But in their mind, this is like, okay, this is a good thing. It's just a really interesting, weird, bizarre story. And it's interesting how we're going to see Jesus grant the demons' request of entering the pigs. He's going to grant the request of not letting them just wander aimlessly, but the guy who wants to follow him, Jesus, can I follow you? He's like, no. <laughs> and it's interesting to me how we do see that Jesus answers the request, but not the man who has a renewed mind. And I think that Jesus sometimes does say no because there's a bigger and better yes around the corner. Because there's something he's sending this man to. And this is just such a unique story. It's interesting. When we say the conqueror of evil, how did Jesus conquer this? It's really interesting. It's in verse 19, but Jesus says, when you tell your family and friends what has happened, tell them that the Lord, and we'll throw the verse up, how he has had mercy on you. He's like, I want you to communicate this message of mercy. And to a, a Gentile, Greco-Roman kind of culture, they would understand this. Underst- understand that on Roman coins, it had the word mercy written on it. 
See, back in this day, uh, when an emperor would overcome, or in Roman times, like a Roman emperor would overcome a city or an area, they'd kill off the soldiers, and the Romans did something really unique. They didn't kill the men and the children. They actually would go into the city and be like, hey, we defeated your army, and we're going to show mercy on you, you can live. And it's almost a way to make them be like, oh, thank you, kind sir, and like, want to like, now join us, be Roman. It was different. Most other, back in that day, they would kill the men and the, the children, maybe the women as well. But in the Romans' minds, they thought they were being really merciful. Hey, you can be a part of us now. Hey, we're not going to kill you. And in their mind, it's like, we'll let you go. Jesus' mercy is not necessarily, we'll let you go, but it's, I will go. Jesus' mercy is not like, I will let you go, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. I'm showing mercy on you. I'm the one who, who crossed this great divide. I'm the one who's going to pay for your sins. We see that Jesus showed mercy on this man. One of my favorite verses, I mean, if you've read the New Testament, if you've ever read the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 2 is like one of the richest chapters in the Bible. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, listen to this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, it says, But God, but God. He writes, you're dead in your sins, you're, you're on your way to hell, verse 1 through 3, but God. But God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Isn't that good news? But God, even though you're dead in your sins, God was what? What was he? He was rich in mercy. Jesus says, tell everyone the mercy I've shown on you. Our God is rich in mercy. That even though we are dead in our sins, he's made us alive together. Even though this guy was just, in a sense, just dead, filled with demons. They're, they're controlling him. They're speaking through him. Jesus made him alive. And we serve a God who does the same thing for us today. When you and I are dead in our sins, he speaks and he makes us alive. And we serve a God who loves to make dead things alive. Not bad things good, dead things alive. That's what God does. He makes us alive in Christ. We can walk with him and know him. And we see this happening. Jesus really, in a sense, saves this man. He shows great mercy. And, and there's so much we could look at. There's so much we could talk about. I love somehow that this guy runs to him. I don't fully get that. But he runs to him in a spirit of worship. It says, and worshiped. I don't fully get that. He just sees Jesus from afar and is like, I'm going to get to Jesus. And I think there's something about that that you might feel like you're really far from Christ, but if you see him, if you hear the word of God right now, like run to it, run to him, fall at your knees in a spirit of worship. That's all I can say. I really don't fully get this. I don't get how he's in this state and he runs to him and falls on his knees. But I'd say, listen, if you feel like you're far from God, if you feel like you're a little far from God, run to Jesus. By no means will he cast you out. By no means will he be like, oh my gosh, you're way too wicked. Get out of here. That's not what happens. Jesus is looking for him. So we see the reality of evil. We see the conqueror of evil. We see what Jesus does. He speaks the word. Demon's gone. Go into the pigs. Go over the cliff. Look at now verse 14. We're going to see the crowd's response. The crowd's response. Verse 14. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what had happened. And then when they had came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and who had had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right minds, and those, it says they were more afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him and how he had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with Jesus to depart from the region. This is such an abnormal, abnormal response to Jesus. Usually the crowds run to Jesus and like, we want you, be the Messiah, be the king. Like, this, this is the time of Jesus' popularity in his ministry. This is such an abnormal response to Jesus. They're going, get out of here. We don't want you. Get out of here. Our pigs are gone. <laughs> Our pigs are dead. You know, for some of you pig sympathizers, you get that. You're like, yeah, what, what's up with the pigs? Still bugs you a little bit, right? It's like, oh, the anything but the pigs. I don't know why, but maybe you kind of feel that way. I mean, let, think about their anger, though. I mean, if this happened today in a context, there's a guy, and there's a dog park, and there's all these dogs, and he speaks a word, and the dogs run into the water and drown. You'd be like, who's that guy? Like, you'd be like this anger. Jesus would never do that to a dog. 
Maybe a cat, but not a dog. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> some of you love that. Some of you hate me right now. I'm kidding. But we, we see this. And there's like fear and there's anger. And they're going, what the heck? And, and here's the point. It's not just because they're pigs. The point is this is their livelihood. This is, this is their economics. This is their money. This is how they made money. This is how they, they bought and sold. This made them wealthy. This made them rich. 2,000 pigs is a lot of money. I know it sounds, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of wealth. And there's this frustration and anger. And here's, here's what we see in that. We see that they love their money more than they love Jesus. They go, we don't, what else are we going to lose? I wonder if that, that's the mindset. The mindset being like, no, get out of here. If we lost our pigs, what else is this Jesus going to have us get rid of? If he's taking this away from us, what else might he take away from us? And I, and I do think there's some people who it's like, what else is Jesus going to ask to take away? And, and we assume that, that Jesus is going to ask us to get rid of something that's not for our benefit. We assume that Jesus isn't good. Sometimes we assume, I don't want him to ask for me to get rid of something else in my life. I like this. I want this. And we think we know it's best for us. And this is kind of what's happening. They're going, Jesus, we, can you leave? Can you get out of the region? Crazy thing is Jesus does leave. He asks him to leave, and he's like, okay. But I really do think there's something to this. They, they see this. They lose their business. They lose their economics. They're mad. They say, Jesus, get out of here. And there's something, again, that we need to see, that they actually value these pigs more than they value this man's soul, and that's the big mistake. Because sometimes we can value things more than we value people. And honestly, that's what I see here, is they value these pigs and their life more than they value this man. They see him clothed, sitting in his right mind, and it says they're more afraid. And in their mind, they go, we want our pigs. We'd rather have the pigs back and let this guy be back to his his crazy state. And they value things more than they valued the soul of a man. And and here's what we see with Jesus. Jesus values the soul of a man way more than than anything. (laughs) Can I tell you, it's not just like they lost. Jesus values the soul of a man so much that he gave his life, that he was the substitute. Jesus shows us how much he values souls, way more than 2,000 pigs. Jesus is like, I value souls so much that I will lay down my life that I can redeem the souls of men. We see how much Jesus values. And this is what's so interesting to me about the story. They see the guy sitting, clothed in his right mind. It's like, oh my gosh, this is great. He's not naked, freaking out, cutting himself anymore. This is a great thing. And then instead of rejoicing, they're more afraid. And it's interesting, what's happening here kind of just happened to the disciples, remember? Remember, the cro- they crossed the sea, Jesus speaks a word, the sea's calmed, and it says the disciples were exceedingly afraid. They were more afraid of Jesus than they were the storm. These people here are more afraid of this guy being renewed than they were him being demonic. That says something to this, this crew's character, who they were. It's really interesting, they go, what? We, we don't want him back. In his right- we want our economics back, we want our money back, we want our business back. We don't want this guy in his right mind. And I, I don't want to harp on this too much, but I really do believe, I believe as a church, I believe as us individuals, I need to care more about that person's soul than I do about my money. <laughs> that if I can give in a way and take someone out and bless them or do something just so they can hear the gospel, they can respond to the gospel, what a great use of money. That if I can do something in a way where someone can hear and believe and receive that it's so worth it. I don't know if you guys ever go to like a mall or Disney World or wherever there's like mass, mass crowds and I don't know if you were just looking at the crowds and get overwhelmed and be like, Jesus, do these people know you? Like, do they know you? And what can we do? What can I do? And there's, I don't know if you ever feel that or pray that or sense that. And I really think there should be within all of us like this, this value more for the soul than value for stuff. This value for this, this battle over life and death than just value for what we might want to keep and maintain and manage. Let us value souls more than we value our retirement. Amen? Let us value souls more than we, we, we value our jobs or value our money or our personal tr- Let us value souls more. And this is what we see happening. They've, they didn't value it. They go, Jesus, get out of here. Leave. They were more afraid, and Jesus left. And, but here's what we see, and I love how this ends. We see the renewed man. 
And look at verse 15 again, and then we'll look at verse 18. Verse 15, then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion, and he was sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Verse 18, and when Jesus got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged Jesus that he might be with him. He's like, Jesus, I want to be with you. However, (laughs) Jesus did not permit him. But he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion or mercy on you. And so he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. And here's the last thought. We see the renewed man, the renewed man. And there's something wonderful about the description of the renewed man. Like if you get time like, to read it, circle things, or think of it, we all throw this up here for you. <laughs> but you can kind of see the renewed man. He's sitting there. So different. Goes from being crazy in tombs, cutting himself, crying out, and now we see peace. We saw the storm, and now we see the calm. We saw that last week. The storm, then the calm, and he's sitting there. Know what this communicates? This is his new master. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus going, you're my new master. I'm no longer a slave to this thing. It does not control me. It does not rule me. He had the power to break chains. That's probably gone, but now he has his freedom back. Now he's decided to give his freedom and sit at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus, I'm going to sit at your feet. If you can free me from that, I'm going to sit at your feet. We see him sitting there, and it says he's clothed. And I just, I don't, why does it say that? I think it's just probably because it's noticeable. You know, like, this guy was naked, now he's clothed. Like, immediately the demons leave, and he's like, oh my gosh, let me get some clothes on. Put some clothes on, and this just speaks of the gospel. How you and I, when we stand before God, we realize, as Hebrews 4 talks about, everything is naked to the eye of God. Everything is, my life is exposed before God, and I realize in Christ, I'm clothed in his righteousness. That Isaiah talks about how you and I would one day be robed in God's own righteousness. That God would say, here's my righteousness, let me clothe you. Let me put my righteousness on you. Because you and I are naked before him. We can hide nothing before God. Everything's exposed before God, and yet God says, let me clothe you. You can hide nothing from me, but I'm going to clothe you. And it says he's he's sitting there in his right mind, in a renewed mind. There are some people in my life, maybe in your life, (laughs) maybe they're hopefully not here, but there's some people in our lives that we go, will they ever have the right mind? Like, will they ever be back to normal? And honestly, extreme examples of this, where we go, I love this person so much, I don't know if they'll ever think clearly, and this gives me so much hope that if this guy can have the right mind, that one day those people who are extreme out there, they can also have the right mind. And this gives me hope for just simple things. Like God, renew their mind. Is that not Romans 12, 1 and 2? Where he talks about being renewed, our minds being renewed, our lives being transformed. We see the gospel renewed. The way I used to think, you guys, I don't think like anymore. I, I think one of the biggest things that happens when you decide to follow Jesus is God's like, throughout your whole Christian life, it doesn't happen in one moment, throughout your whole Christian life, God's like, let me rewire your mind when it comes to sex. Let me rewire your mind when it comes to serving. Let me rewire your mind when it comes to money. Let me rewire your, rewire your mind when it comes to fill in the blank. I think God is constantly rewiring, renewing our mind. Saying the way you used to think of this, the way you used to go about this, it has to change. The way you used to perceive this relationship has to change. The way you perceive yourself has to change. The way you perceive me has to change. We see God constantly renewing our minds. We see that in Philippians 4. And this is like my prayer, honestly, for our church. There's some people we talk to and we go, God, I can't, I can't convince them I need you to renew their mind. I can't convince them of who Jesus is. I can't convince them that they're just constantly blame-shifting. Renew their mind. Jesus, renew their mind. And we see Jesus renew his mind. Then we see this, he had a renewed community. He goes home to his own. Imagine being his family and friends and be like, yo, 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 what? Like, John's back, and he's clothed. This is so cool. What? He's, like, pretty calm right now. He's not, like, what's up with that? And he gets sent back to his community, and I, I can't imagine the stories. I can't imagine the hugs. Like, look, this guy named Jesus, look what he did. Who's Jesus? We're Gentiles. Let me tell you who Jesus is. I can't imagine all the stories that have come from that. I can't imagine the community that was built from that. And then we see a renewed desire. Jesus, I want to follow you. And Jesus is like, no, 
you have a more important mission. And it is interesting to me that we do see, we do see the demon go, hey, we, we want to still be in this region. Hey, we want to enter the pigs. We see just go, yes, yes. Hey, I want to follow you. Pretty noble. No. <laughs> you're not going to actually walk with me firsthand, but you are going to go and you're going to tell people about me. And Jesus said to, this, to all the disciples later, hey, I'm with you always. Jesus was with this man. He would be with this man. He sent his spirit to be with this man. But this guy had a more important mission that Jesus gave him. It's great to be with me, but just tell, proclaim, just tell your story, proclaim. Just tell your story, proclaim. Just tell people what Jesus did for you. It's that simple. Just say, hey, I was once blind, now I see. Just, I was once whatever, like just proclaim, just tell it. That's what he's doing. He's just telling, hey, all I know is that this is what Jesus did for me. I can't give you 20 reasons why I'm a Christian and let me write a great book on that, but it's like, let me just tell you what Jesus did for me and that's what we're all to do, amen? Just to go, let me just tell you what Jesus did for me. Uh, and so he has a renewed desire, his renewed mission to go. But here's what I love. Because when we study Mark, just so you know, we look at this like every week, Mark is talking about the kingdom of God and it's almost like this reversal. Every story, we kind of see a reversal in the gospel of Mark and please don't miss this. It's almost like you have a sock and it's turned inside out and we're trying to turn it back to the way it's supposed to be. We read the Bible sometimes and things are turned inside out. And we're like, what, is it? What, is it? what does this mean? Why does it look like this? And the kingdom of God is just a reversal. Like when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, like remember how we talked about this? The kingdom of God is a reversal. You want to be first, be last. You want to find your life, lose it. You want to be the greatest among men, become the servant of all men. Like, huh? like the kingdom of God is just this giant reversal and we see this with Jesus' life. Because please, please hear this. Because Jesus became like this man to reverse what this man went through. Mark is constantly pointing to what Jesus would do, constantly showing us the reversal. I wrote it down this way. Think about what Jesus had to go through. Jesus was isolated like this man. This guy's alone in tombs. Jesus had to be on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me and be isolated in that moment in time? Jesus was naked like this man, stripped on the cross. He stripped naked like this man. Jesus was in the tomb like this man. Jesus goes to the tomb. Jesus was cut like this man. This man cut himself, but others cut Jesus. The whole idea of the gospel of Mark is Jesus saying, let me flip the script. Let me flip the script on you and on me. That this guy, he was isolated, alone. There's blood coming from him. He's in tombs. Jesus is like, that's my story. I'm going to be isolated, I'm going to be alone. I'm just be blood coming from him. I'm going to be in a tomb. And honestly, and you think like, no, you're looking, this is, this is just the Bible. When Jesus said, you read the scriptures and in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which speak of me. This, this is the Bible. Everything speaks of Jesus. Jesus is constantly trying to say, this protects, oh yeah, you think it's about the law, it's about me. <laughs> oh yeah, the Passover lamb, that's pretty cool, me. <laughs> the priest said, that one's good, me. Like, this is, const- this is the message of the Bible. This guy's life, what the details it gives are not just details. Jesus is like, this would be me, I would go on a mountain. I would be cut. I would bleed. I would die. I'd go in a tomb. I mean, Jesus is reversing everything. And is this, again, the kingdom of God is this great reversal. This world is in decay and death and sorrow. Wherever Jesus goes, what's happening? Life and healing and meaning. And this is the kingdom of God. And guys, as Christians, as Christ followers, wherever we go, we're to take this mission to bring life and healing and value and meaning and flip the script on people and say, no, no, you don't have to cut yourself anymore. There was one who cut, was cut for you. You don't have to hurt yourself anymore. There's one who was hurt for you. You don't have to try to do things to feel good with God. That God did everything for you. Like the script is flipped. And this is this man's story. And Jesus comes and he leaves. And then I love next week's story. We'll wait for next week. But I, I just love wherever Jesus goes, he brings life and healing and meaning. And this guy returns, it says, to his own. To his own. And again, if this guy can come home, I think no one's too far from God. If this guy can come home, 
your, your son or your daughter or your friend, they can come to. What they need is that encounter with Jesus. Let's be praying for that, and let us be bearers of bringing Jesus to this world. Amen? Let me pray for you guys. We're just going to close our time in some worship. I'm asking you to just reflect on this a little bit more. You pray over this a little bit more, and we'll even have people available for prayer for you afterwards. But we're just going to ask that this can just sink down into our hearts. So let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you <laughs> for the truth that you do flip the script. That, God, you took my brokenness, my feelings of loneliness, my feelings of isolation, God, those struggles I have and that we all have within, and that, Jesus, you, you bore that for us on the cross, that you brought us in. God, we just thank you. There, there's nothing else we can say. We, we ask that we would not read stories in the Bible and think this applies to someone else or applied back then, but, Lord, let us, just, let us see that this reflects our human condition and that, God, we may not be on one end of the spectrum. Maybe we are, but, Lord, either way, we ask, Jesus, that we learn from this, that we not fall into the trap of just evil being gradual, that these thoughts can be demonic, as James says. Certain thoughts, Lord, they're not from you. can just lead us down a path, just down a spiral. Lord, I ask that for everyone in this room, that you just grab hold of them, that you'd speak to them, that, God, you let them know that they are yours, Lord, that they would just surrender everything to you. So, Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this group. We just want to celebrate you now, the fact that we were far and you came to us. So we thank you for that, Jesus, in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.